at the time Hitler was he was fantastic. Hello and welcome to episode number 25 of the Grumpy Old Ben's podcast. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where there are many men just outside my door working on big, big, heavy equipment. And you know what? They're making a lot more than minimum wage. And from America's left coast, where the high cost of living doesn't seem to be affecting the popularity of it, I'm Ryan Bemrose. Well, because, hey, everything's better. If it costs more, it must be better and is that the, maybe that's the concept of why when it comes to this minimum wage thing that we're talking about on today's show that a vast majority of people while doing research on this topic and everybody knows i love to do research the interesting thing was that like 75 percent of americans usually around there when polled about the concept of raising the minimum wage are in support of it and getting 75 percent of the people in this country to agree on anything at this point is tough. So why, why, why do all of these people think that a raise in the minimum wage is a good thing? Well, what you've just identified is a complete and utter failure to teach economics by our school systems. I'll put this one at the hands of, of academia. If you look at the very surface, minimum wage is one of those things like socialism, like like a lot of ideas that it's very seductive on its surface because frankly, you know, Hey, free stuff, more stuff for you. Yay. And nobody ever thinks any deeper than that in before they go vote. And they haven't really been taught. What are the full economic effects of say a minimum wage rise? And so that's what we're here for today here on grumpy old bins. We're going to, educate people or we're just going to bitch a lot that's well both maybe but that's a scary thing we're the ones educating the people but i i do believe you're right when you say people like this because one they don't know economics and they don't understand some simple things but it's also the fairness of it all well yes everybody should and they when they talk about this stuff a lot of times you hear you know make a living wage it's interesting too that a majority of the people that are making minimum wage, if they're working a full-time job, are still above the poverty line. And that's something else that's a part of this concept in the great United States of America. That depends entirely on whether or not you're in a left coast city. Well, you're right. It depends very much on where you're living, but just overall. The poverty line is about 75,000 in Seattle these days. Right. But still overall, when you're talking about with all of this stuff, when you're talking about people voting, making policies, you have to work on the statistics of all uh, of the whole concept. You can't just be making laws because nobody can afford to live in New York. So let's make a law that will cover blanket the rest of the country, even though the people out in the middle of Iowa are perfectly fine. So I understand there are places like New York and Seattle, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco that to be able to live and actually buy food and maybe go out and buy some clothes every now and then you need to be making a lot more than 
what the concept of this minimum wage is. But the, the, the thing is, I don't think anybody understands, and you hit it with the economics of the situation, is that when you raise the minimum wage, this isn't waving a magic wand. This isn't making money appear out of nowhere. You are having an effect, a ripple effect on the whole economy when you do this. So, yes, it sounds good. I mean, if I asked you, Sir Pemrose, wouldn't it be great if the government just gave everybody a million dollars tomorrow? You'd be like, sure. No. (laughs) Hell no. Because I know where that money comes from. I'll take your million. No, no, that's the thing. That's the thing. If the government went out and gave a million dollars from everyone, you would be taking my million. Because where do you think that comes from? It's tax money. <laughs> we take your million. We give it to me. We take my million. We give it to Dame Bemrose. We take Dame Bemrose's million. We give it to JC Jr. No, he's in Canada. Screw him. But that's not how it works. Because, because of administrative fees and the cost of bureaucracy and keeping all of these bureaucrats employed, it's we take your million and then we give 700,000 to this person. Then we take a million from the other person and give 700,000 and that other 30% all just goes straight into the giant hole that is government bureaucracy, never to be seen again. Some of it is used to pay lifelong bureaucrats who have absolutely no interest in ever doing anything other than what they're doing because they can't be fired. And some of it goes to $10,000 wrenches and toilet seats. And some of it just vanishes into corruption. I mean, the intriguing thing is when you really look at I started at this, ranting, didn't I? No, you never rant. But the interesting thing is when you look at this, a minimum wage hike is overall bad for the workers when everything comes down the line. Bernie Sanders, Mr. Socialist, decided recently. I just heard you say burning. Burning Sanders. Uh, that was Burning Man. Well, you go to Bernie Man with Bernie Sanders. And do a whole lot of peyote, and then you'll understand everything that's going on. Because I hear that Bernie Man was a pretty awesome festival back in 2016. <laughs> it could have been. Bad the media didn't cover it. He gave all of his workers on his campaign. He decided, hey, I need to pay these people more. I'm going to make the minimum wage for the people working for me. I really wish I could do a Bernie voice because it's really more like a Muppet mixed with like, well, I decided to give the minimum wage to. Uh, So he raised the minimum wage to $15 for everybody in his campaign. And that was great, except literally about like a week later, he went, oh, I'm going to have to cut everybody's hours because I can't afford this. And it's like, whoa, I mean, how do you not put two and two together, man? How do you not understand that the amount that you can afford to pay people is very much dependent upon your business? And there are certain things that people just shouldn't be paid a million dollars an hour for. And if your business is socialism, then the amount that you can actually afford to pay people is pennies. Yes. If that, you might even look at this and go, well, we can't even afford pennies anymore. But when you start doing a minimum wage increase, just like you're talking about socialism, would you want to give everybody a million dollars? And you're like, I know where this comes from. Understand that the money that is being paid out on a minimum wage increase has to come from somewhere and it's coming from the business that is paying them. Obviously I know everybody thinks that a lot of all businesses now it's very fashionable to think all businesses are horrible, making tons of money on the backs of the workers. Again, if, if you're only doing first order thinking and you're not really contemplating the economics of the situation, then it's fashionable to think that, 
being a company means that really what it means is that the owner of the company has an infinite well of money and they're only trickling it out to the workers and the rest they're just hoarding for themselves. And once you think like that, you're like, well, hell yes, the workers demand more money. That's not actually how company finances work, though. No, at some point in the past, before there were unions and all of this, and unions have brought their own problems and are very much ingrained with this minimum wage battle. But there was a time when workers got a didn't get a fair shake, and that's changed greatly as technology has moved on, as people realize it's very easy now. And I remember when the internet first started, because being a guy that was doing web design very early on, you were like, okay, what are other people getting paid for this? And it was very hard to find out what people doing your job were getting paid. And when to find out was the salary you were getting fair, were you getting screwed? Were you getting way too much? The internet has made this a lot easier for people to figure out, you know, if I'm flipping burgers. And I'm working for McDonald's and they're paying six bucks an hour. And you, hey, what are people getting flipping burgers making? And you see White Castle's paying 10. Well, then everybody leaves McDonald's and goes to work for White Castle's. The capitalist system absolutely works in that case. So you have some information and you know that this isn't, you know, the businesses can't all decide to screw their employees because there's other people that want to hire them. There's a job force out there. But where this money comes from, it's almost as if workers are a good in a capitalist market where companies need to compete for the resource that is workers. And therefore, in true capitalistic fashion, when the supply is less than the demand, the price goes up because people are competing and trying to get. In fact, it's exactly like that. That's, that's how acquiring workers works. And you know what the interesting thing is? The economy at this point is going so well. Stocks are going still through the roof, even with all the craziness going on with China and the rest of the world in the UK, all of these trade deals and all these people are worried. And the stock market's been a little bit of a roller coaster, but overall, way, way up from the last six, 12 months. Since Trump took office, stocks are doing really well. Yet we're still getting calls on this minimum wage thing. And I don't know why i know people that own restaurants and i know people that own stores that do installations that that sell flooring so these are two areas where you know carpet installers and people that flip burgers these are two you know one you need obviously a little bit more know-how and skill but in both of these industries right now it is very hard to find people to work yeah it's insane that's the job market as it is in, in the world for, for really the last 10 years is companies have more jobs than there are workers available to fill them. And so if the free market were left to go, wages would steadily rise anyway, precisely because people are trying to compete to fill jobs. And if you can't fill a job at $8 an hour, then you have to offer more money until you can finally convince somebody to give up their $9 an hour job and take your 10 and, and then the company that just lost the worker might have to offer 11. And that's, I mean, again, that is how a market works and and it does work in the long run, but people don't think in the long run of the big picture, especially not about economics. Uh, economics has the distinction amongst sciences as being something that no matter how complicated you think it is, 
it's worse than that. It's more complicated than that because the very act of trying to understand economics changes the plan. That's why the stock market never crashes the same way twice. Every time that the stock market crashes, people will go back and analyze and go, oh, I I see how that happened. And then they will take steps to try to make sure it never happens that way again, which means that the next time it'll just happen a different way. It'll be a surprise, though. And that's always good. The fact that you can't find employees says something. Watching the stock market is entertaining as hell. Participating in it is kind of stressful that way. Well, yeah, because money comes and money goes. There are some days you're really happy. Some days you're really not. And a lot of people got hit the last time the market crashed because everybody has their savings in stocks. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people do. And you're right. That can lead to a whole lot of stress. But what people don't understand then when it comes to this minimum wage and everybody points to fast food and it's a good thing to point to because for two reasons. One, this is where a lot of the unskilled workers, this is where a lot of the people making less than most are working in an industry like fast food where you can go in, get a job and be up on your feet doing the job within minutes. Okay, maybe hours. You might have to learn how to use the fryer so you don't kill yourself. Whatever it is, these are very easy jobs. They're easy to get in and out of. People go into these jobs usually temporarily. And one of the reasons it's good to point to the fast food is because it's an easy thing when it comes to the economics of all of this stuff. One of the economic terms you're looking for is unskilled labor. The unskilled labor is a job which does not require somebody to have gone and learned a trade for years and years before they're able to take on the job, which means you can, from a company perspective, you can trade in and swap out users quickly. There's high turnover. It's very good at, because everybody defaults to unskilled before they've learned a trade, it's the kind of job that employs young people, especially people who are just starting out. It is as you're pointing out, a very important class of the economy, but unskilled labor, because it doesn't require a special amount, is going to have a larger labor pool and therefore tend to have lower wages. Yes, because you're easier to find somebody else to do the job, which is why for so long, everybody was against on both sides illegal immigration because it was like, well, they're taking money in cash. They're taking their salary. They're taking their hourly wages in cash and they're not claiming taxes and they're doing this illegally. They're getting paid under the table because they're willing to work for less. And now it's like, well, now we have to just keep raising this. We have to keep raising this. We have to keep raising this. And the economics getting back to that part don't really make sense. So let's just pretend you have a hamburger joint that it's magical. And one guy, one unskilled worker is basically doing everything. He's the only guy that you need in there. He's the one flipping the burgers. He's the one taking the money when somebody comes in. It's a very small little hamburger shop. I'd say somebody who can do all of that at once is a skilled worker. It's more skilled. I get you. <laughs> but let's just, for the sake of argument, let's just pretend that this guy is getting $10 an hour and the burgers are, you know, you have, they have a cost for what the actual cost for the burgers are. You have a cost to have a location. You have a cost for so many things that people don't even understand the amount in this area here for a small little like pizza joint. one of my buddies owns a place out here and the place fits maybe 80 to a hundred people. So it's a pretty small location and the monthly rent for that location was, I think 5,000, 5,500, somewhere right in that area. So it's like, you have to make this much profit 
just to be able to pay for where you are. Then you have to pay for your employees and all that. But what people don't understand is the overall amount of percentage that you're making on most of these businesses is very low. We can go to a little bit bigger a place like a Denny's. And I think we might have talked about this on one of the other shows. I remember hearing a guy talk that owned, uh, I think, 10 Denny's. And they were asking him about the state of the business and all this. So 10 different Denny's locations he owns. And he said he pulled profit out of each location was 100000 a year. So it's like, okay, you think a Denny's is only making $100,000 in profit for a full year. Well, what happens if everybody making their seven, $8 an hour, now everybody gets bumped up to 15 Well, that $100,000 profit completely evaporates. The problem with the minimum wage concept is the concept is this. If the burger you were paying for was a dollar and the minimum wage gets doubled and now the burger is going to cost you two or three dollars, who really wins in this situation? Because you're like, well, the people need to make more so they can feed their family. Well, if all of the unskilled workers wages go up, well, now all of the food you're buying for your family has to go up because a lot of people involved in this are unskilled, lower paid workers. So how do you handle this? Those costs have to be passed on somewhere and and to the customer is often the the main reason. So yeah, if you force somebody's costs to go up, you can't really be surprised when the, the price of their goods also goes up. That's also economics. I wanted to, I wanted to do some level setting with you where you live in Chicago or Chirac or uh, just outside. What is the minimum wage? I'm not sure in the suburbs out here. I believe Chicago has upped it to like 15 bucks. You, you in did the suburbs, research, but it, you couldn't even find out what the minimum wage is. It's irrelevant. Okay. It really, it really is irrelevant because it's the going rate for whatever will work in any particular area. But I know this is another part of the minimum wage concept is that it's funny because there is both a federal minimum wage and then there can be a state minimum wage yeah. and then there can be a city minimum wage. Yes. The reason that I ask and the reason why I wasn't sure if it was relevant or not is the difference between where you are, the potential difference and on the left coast is you have been using examples of $7 an hour or or an example of a high minimum wage being 15 or something thereabout or or a high wage like oh yeah these people got a massive cost of living adjustment now they're they're making $15 an hour and Seattle at least the city minimum wage is $15 an hour has been for several years now but the you know you the federal minimum wage I don't even know what it is because it's not relevant in the state of Washington because the state of Washington has a statewide minimum wage of $12 so when you talk about 6 or 7 or 10 as being improvements I'm like yeah we passed that point a long time ago I do believe that. Okay. So for in Illinois, the state of Illinois in 2010, it was eight and a quarter. And let's see here in effective in 2020, it's going up to 925. It looks like, and then $10 later in 2020, then in 2021, 11, 12. So they're saying by 2025 up to 15. That's the state of Illinois, but the city of Chicago is higher, but yes, I mean, it's not quite as insane as you if you're out in the suburbs and stuff like that out here in the Chicago area. Yeah, okay. It can be less, but the problem is it doesn't really matter because the price on everything is still going to go up. The concept doesn't get messed up no. just because the amounts are different. Just like New York, I'm also hoping the minimum wage is you know, a little bit more than it would be out in the middle of Nebraska somewhere, but it's still the same as if you have a pizza place 
out in the middle of Nebraska. And right now you can afford to sell a pizza for $10. If all of these wages go up, those pizzas also have to go up because if you own a business, it doesn't matter what you do. You could be making friendship bracelets and you can make one friendship bracelet a day. Well, if you have, you know, a couple employees working for you, I know that would be very slow making on the friendship bracelets, but still they're very, they're very you, ornate. Yes. You would still have to then raise the price of your goods because you have to pay more for labor. This isn't something like I said, there's no magic wand. There's no magic wand that can be waved that says everybody makes more, but the price on everything else can stay the same. So, yeah, simple economics from the perspective of a business. If new regulations go into effect, if new laws go into effect, which minimum wage is, that forces your costs to be higher, you have two ways that you, I mean, the, the econo- basic economic theory, if your costs have gone up externally and you don't have control over that, you have two ways that you can balance the books. One is you pass the increased cost on to the customer. That is, you raise your prices. That only works so far because in a competitive market, which most businesses operate in, when you raise your prices, you get fewer customers. And fewer customers means you're not making as much money. Therefore, you can't just say, oh, my the minimum wage went up by 40%. Therefore, I'm going to raise my cost to 40. The cost of, let's stay with fast food, the cost of a burger goes up by 40%, but it hasn't changed on the other side of the city limits. Are you going to, where are you going to eat? You're going to the place where it's cheaper. So yeah, I mean the same burger, but now it costs 40% more at this place because they have higher costs. There is, of course, if you're a business owner, you realize this because if you're a business owner and you're a successful one who hasn't gone out of business yet, you probably have a rudimentary understanding of economics and market theory. You realize that you can't raise the price of your burgers by 40%, but you have to balance the book somehow or you're going to go out of business. So you raise the cost of the burger by maybe 10% because yeah, okay, people will probably still come here for the convenience and through inertia and most people will absorb a 10% increase in price. Okay, fine. You know, you, you pick a number and you decide to increase and the rest of it, how do you make up the rest of it and still balance your books? You've only got one other option. You cut costs. Now, what are your costs? Well, I, I mean, if you're creative, you can go to a, a lower grade beef in the burger. You can use slightly moldier buns. Again, there's always the concern of driving customers away. So there's only so much you can do there. But what is, by law now, the number one top cost of any business that employs people? It's labor. It's the cost of employing people. And especially since that was the cost that increased. So, basic economic theory if you are a business that wants to stay in business and a minimum wage change is forced on you, you're going to cut jobs. You're going to cut hours. You're going to employ fewer people or employ people for fewer amount of time. It's the most basic direct result of even a little bit of thinking about minimum wage that it feels like the proponents of minimum wage laws, the people pushing it saying, well, we demand higher wages. They just don't think that far or, or they don't. It's, it's the one place where I really don't understand how you can still be in favor of minimum wage laws. If you know, this is going to happen. Well, I believe it's way more nefarious and I do believe we'll get to that in a minute, but I do believe that's a way more nefarious, which is the people that are actually pushing this 
and again, I, I st- it feels like I say this phrase in every grumpy old Ben's and for, for good reason is there's a lot of people that want to crash the system. And I believe this is a part of that. I believe that's one of the puzzle pieces because yes, you're right. What happens when the labor force gets to be too expensive, the hours have to be cut. People have to be fired and it's even more nefarious than that. And that's one of the reasons that I'd like to talk about this in a fast food world because for two different reasons, one, they now have robots that can flip burgers. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) who didn't see that coming? And two, we are all very used to using touch screens. We're all used to using our phones. We're all used to using our tablets. So now when you walk into a fast food restaurant and instead of a smiling, pimply aged teenage girl going, how can I help you? You now have a screen that you just go and your shit's ordered. You know what that does? Puts people right out of the workforce because they can be replaced. Tablets and robots cost money. And compared to minimum wage workers, you know, usually that wasn't a lot. It was way too, way, way too expensive to get robots and kiosks. But once that minimum wage gets to be enough, that starts looking like a good alternative, right? If I walk into a fast food place and there's nobody there to talk to and there's just a tablet, a touch screen, the first thing I'm going to look around for is some hand sanitizer because I'm not fucking touching that screen <laughs> and then touching my food. No, you. Okay, so I'm seeing an exit strategy of making little either gloves I or mean, those little pointer things that are touched, you know, where you can use them on your. The tablet screen had better have like a row of dispenser jets along the top that's just constantly dripping hand sanitizer down the screen. That's the only <laughs> way this is co- can possibly work. Come on, you're afraid of germs. I, I I've seen where those fast food places have been, but this is a very valid point on what happens if the workers start costing you so much money that you go. You know, I didn't really want this as an owner of a company. I didn't really want to spend $10,000 on implementing a new system with tablets, or I didn't want to spend $100,000 to have a robot that can flip burgers. Because usually if the kid was able to do it for seven bucks an hour, that's a lot of burgers I can get flipped. And when the kid breaks down, you just get a new kid. When the robot breaks down, you got to pay a higher paid employee to come in and fix the robot. But this is where you understand the economics. Once you push people that own businesses, once they can actually make a better financial decision going to automation rather than paying a living breathing human being the minimum wage may be a little high well we don't have a minimum wage for robots that's the primary reason robots compete so well against people but they will at some point once robot rights becomes a thing uh well that's a different podcast though yes it is and it's probably one that either we should do or mark and george you never know if it's mark and george is still around the one good ray of light that I saw in all of this was for that question where 75% usually of Americans say they support a raise in the minimum wage. If this is always when you, when you see polls, this is why polls are completely and utterly useless. The wording of things is very important in as far as what response you're going to get, but that's never talked about. You just see results and people take them as gospel. If you add the word, you can get a poll to say anything you want, as long as you've carefully word the questions and also discard all of the answers you don't like. If you want a, a rudimentary way of, of taking a poll of people, go look at a man on the street segment from, from a show like Kimmel or something where they will ask a leading question and then they will get responses from a hundred people and then they will air the 10 that show the point that they want to make. 
and the other 90, they didn't say the right thing. So they don't. That's how you take a poll. When you add the wording to, do you support a raise of the minimum wage? 75% of the people say, sure. If you add, if it causes some employers to lay off workers, that's 75%. What do you think that changes to in favor of minimum wage raise? If you say, do you support a raise in the minimum wage? If you add, do you support a raise in the minimum wage? If it causes some employers to lay off workers, how many people still favor it? Well, knowing the socialist products of academia these days, I would say the number goes up. No, 37%. So at least when this was done, this might be a couple of years older than I saw this coming from. So maybe the millennials have totally screwed everything up now. But overall, people still have that logic that understand if people have to start getting fired, maybe you pushed it a little bit too much. So that's a little ray of hope in all of this. But you're right. We're living in a different time now where socialism seems like a commonplace idea. Like it seems like something that's like, oh, what? why didn't anybody think of this beforehand? I mean, do you not think that it's been tried? You've decided, uh, you know, I, I agree. Uh, enough theory. Let's let's start laying down some facts here. I want I want to whip out some facts about minimum wage because believe it or not, I too did a little bit of research, which I know is weird. And also bringing the facts in a half hour into the show is the right way to do because all of the people that could have been persuaded by facts instead, they listened to our sarcastic comments and tuned out already, which means that our show is having the right amount of impact. No, if you remember, I did a whole show on this on random thoughts about bias. Emotional bias is king. We have to get them emotionally. Facts don't mean anything. Oh, well, we, we certainly did enough bitching early in the show, so maybe we've got them still. Yes. So now, the, then is now the appropriate time to slide in some facts? Lay some facts on me. Here's a fun one. The, uh, the city of Seattle, I, I mentioned, had they, they passed a city ordinance that raised the minimum wage in the city. And it, it was kind of staged in. They passed the ordinance in 2014. In 2015, it caused the minimum wage to go up from the statewide minimum wage of like, I think it was nine and a half at the time to 11. Then in 2016, it went to 13. And then in 2017, it went to uh, $15 an hour. So this was one of, as far as I'm aware, uh, it's one of the earliest large cities that forced a city minimum wage up to $15. In fact, it's now been enough time that some people did a study on it. And one of the, I'm, I'm only going to read you a line directly from the conclusion of the study, which says that the result was in, okay, never mind. I closed that window. I'm going to paraphrase the wow. result. Of, you did that again. <laughs> keep those windows open. It's, it's windows. I'm just telling you. Okay. Everybody, feel free to troll Sir Bemrose in the troll room. Okay, just for that, I'm going to force you to put the link to this study into our show notes. <laughs> uh, the conclusion, however, was that in the city of Seattle, when they actually, the, the study was, uh, the data from the study was finished uh, in 2016 when the minimum wage was only 13. It hadn't gone all the way up to 15 yet. But the conclusion was that hours worked in the jobs below a certain threshold of they, they they studied for jobs below a threshold of basically jobs that would be considered unskilled or minimum wage jobs. And they determined that across the entire city, on average, the hours worked reduced by six to seven percent. And meanwhile, because of the in the, the wage increase and because of natural raises and things like that, the hourly wages in these type of jobs increased by an average of three percent. So what that means is that each person who worked, every hour that they worked, they made 3% more money. Good. Yay. Free money for the masses. 
but they worked six to seven percent fewer hours. And that is an aggregate of both people whose jobs were cut entirely because the company couldn't afford it, but also because of the one that's it's harder to measure and the one that isn't often as brought up, which is you might have been making, you know, taking 40 hours and now we're going to cut you back to 35 hours. The other interesting thing that I found with this into that point was, do you know, this was maybe the, the most recent I could find, but I think this was two or three years ago. Do you know what percentage of the workforce actually makes the minimum wage in the United States? It can't be very high. 1%. Yeah, it, it's, I was going to say it's probably very low, but the more you raise it, the higher that number gets. And, and really well, that's, that's the number that determines yeah. poverty too. <laughs> Uh, I, I would just everybody's to, making the minimum wage. I wanted to call out the very bottom line conclusion from this particular study, which is they they did the calculation, and what it means is the average take home pay for people for unskilled workers in the kind of jobs that would get minimum wage. The average take home pay as a direct result of the Seattle ordinance that raised the minimum wage, their take home pay went down by seventy four dollars a month. Wow, down seventy four. Woo. Yep. Oh wait, that yep. it didn't go up. No, I don't understand. No, it, it free money for everybody who can keep their job, and the rest of you, screw you. We'll let you know here. Free free tents for the sitting on the street. <laughs> well, that may be what it's coming to is the free tent. But not only is only one percent of the workforce making minimum wage, a majority of those are teens, and only thirty two percent of the people making minimum wage work full-time. So that means about 70% of the people making minimum wage are part-time workers, kids working yeah. five, 10, 15 hours a week. A lot of them are kids. Others are, by the way, people who, for example, might be disabled and can't work a full 40-hour week, but they want to work something. People who uh, have multiple jobs. It's not just kids, but it's often people who are uh, disadvantaged by one way or another. Well, this is the same kind of thing, though, which is why all of a sudden we're talking about trans and pronouns and all of this other kind of stuff when this affects such a small amount of the people in the country. When you really start to think about this, that 1% of the workforce is making minimum wage. So this big hubbub, like you said, as this continues to go up, up and up and businesses all start crumbling, which, again, I believe that's what they're trying to do is hurt capitalism to try to take capitalism down because you'll notice and I would believe every city where this minimum wage is getting to the point to where it's 13 to $15 an hour, they're all liberally liberal run utopias. I mean, they're making this into the great utopia they want to be. So even though only 1% of the workforce is making a minimum wage and only about 30% of them are full-time workers. So it's like really 30% of 1% is what is a full-time worker making minimum wage? It seems like a very small number that anybody that understands math would be able to tell raising the minimum wage is really not going to make any difference in anybody's life, except you're going to start prices going up for everybody else. Well, except that 30% of 1% is still a lot of people in total. And if you can tailor your laws to force those people to vote for your party, then you get more political capital as a politician. I think that's, of course, you know, the real reason that politicians do anything these days is to try to either increase their personal power or to gain more votes. Jason 13 in the troll room says babysitters charge 15 an hour. Not, not if they work for Jeffrey Epstein, they get way more. 
Oh wait, he's dead now. Well, that's no, that's that's fifteen an hour with benefits. The interesting thing is, why do the people that are making more than minimum wage give a crap about the minimum wage? And one of the things that I didn't realize, except for doing research for this show to bring you some knowledge, is that the minimum wage. Does the word virtue signaling come into the the reason anywhere? <laughs> um, no, it's greed. Okay. Because one thing I didn't realize was that a lot of unions have their pay rate, which unions make a lot of money, but I didn't realize that a lot of their pay rates are based upon a multiple of the minimum wage. Yes. <laughs> so really, when you say you're raising the minimum wage just to help the children, just to help the downtrodden. No, a lot of these people that are politically behind this are because the unions, the guys that are making 45, 55, 100 bucks an hour are going to start making more because when the minimum wage goes up, of course, their wages have to go up, too. Are you really bringing unions into this show? Because I've got rants about unions. I've got rants for days. Oh, yes. I, no, I am. I am okay. bringing them in because this is a very important part of this topic in the fact that people don't like a lot of the stuff that's going on right now on the face. Everybody wants to say, yo, yes, it would be great if we could help everybody making minimum wage. What they don't realize is that you're also helping people making a lot of money. And that is one of the reasons why this is being politically pushed. It's interesting when you look at what the price of things was in the past. You know, we can go back into our lifetime and remember when gas was under a dollar. And you can remember when tickets for a Chicago White Sox game were about 12 bucks, where now the average is like 60 bucks. Things have gone up. My parents bought their house for, I think, $35,000. You know, it's, it's absolutely insane. Something that you could sell now for closer to 300. You can buy a car these days for that much. No. And so you look at this and you go, okay, are we really better? Cause we keep pushing. The funny thing is the minimum wage, what people make keeps going up by X amount of percent. But what you're paying for everything else is going up more. So what is, does it really matter if it's a dollar or if it's a penny, if it's the same percentage? No, but this is the cycle that we're stuck in. But go ahead, rant about unions if you oh, must. You, you brought it up. Okay. Let, uh, I'm, I'm going to start by, by laying down information as I see it, which is, of course, the only true way to see information. Uh, if you disagree, uh, Ryan at GrumpyOldBenz.com. Unions. A labor union, I, I assume everybody knows basically what it is. It's it's when you get uh, a bunch of people who uh, originally at least all worked for the same people, but often are in the same industry at least, get together who are on, on the worker side, the the uh, what they call it at Microsoft, they called it individual contributors, people who don't manage other people, people who basically do work for the company to produce product, whatever. These made a lot of sense back in the 1870s. During the Industrial Revolution, there was a lot of companies that popped up and basically, uh, how to put this, they were China. The, <laughs> there was a lot of unscrupulous business owners who would come out, hire a bunch of people, and then screw them over. And whether that be uh, terrible contracts of adhesion or offering contracts and then not fulfilling them, all of the power was in the factory owner. You know, we 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 all know the the classic 
story of the the town where there was exactly one industry in the entire town, whether that be a mine or a lumber mill or making automobiles or whatever. And basically that industry, they employ the entire town. And if they ever shut down, the whole town would dry up and go away. There were towns like that. Not a lot anymore, but in that case, the person who owns the factory has all the power in the entire town because any, you know, it's, it's simple. In particular, unskilled labor. Uh, We are talking about unskilled labor here. If somebody steps up and says, no, you're screwing me over, then the management can then point to that person and say, you're out of a job. Sorry. And there was nothing they could do because there was nowhere else to work. So labor unions came to be to balance the power held by the management. And the management always had the ability to fire a single worker, but the unions balanced that out by saying, if you do something that screws over a worker or you go back on a deal or you do things that are generally unscrupulous and bad for the workers, the workers can all get together and combined, they can shut down production, which is a power the unions have over the management. So the management now will think twice about how much they screw over their workers, because if they screw them over too much, then the union will screw over management. You know, the, back in the 1870s, everybody was screwing everybody all the time. It was like a sexual revolution, you see. And more than that, people were actually killing each other. Yes. And, and, and that's actually the, the law what I mean. of the West. Okay. So the, the balance of the, the check on the power of management doing too much is the union could cause management to not be able to make money. The, power of the management is then you know how do you well the problem with that 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 will come if you have a union who has the ability to shut down production at any time is that of course when you have this power you'll be incentivized to use it and pretty soon you're going to have people unions for example who are demanding more pay more pay more pay and if you don't raise our wages from 28 to $37 an hour, we're going to shut down production. And at some point, management, we've already discussed this, when your labor costs get too high, you cannot compete and you go out of business. So that is the power that management has to keep unions in check. It is the only power and it is the nuclear option, but it exists. And that is, you know, uh, we started, if management demands too much, unions will stop work. If unions demand too much, management, the only, the nuclear option that they always have is they can go out of business. And if they go out of business, it's game over for everybody. Everything the union has is gone because nobody has a job. So unions are held in check and don't ask for too much because if they ask for so much that management shuts down or goes out of business, everybody loses. It's kind of a prisoner's dilemma here. Yeah, it's a very symbiotic relationship. That no doubt. dynamic has has worked in industry for a long time, and and actually it it works pretty well because unions get to a point where they demand as much as they can for their members without putting management out of business, and management does what they can to treat their people right so that unions won't demand more. That is a pretty good symbiotic relationship. Now, here is the first rant where Wait, I that go, wasn't the first rant. No, that was me laying down some information in a ranty tone of voice. I know it's hard to tell. Uh, Yes, it is. Here's the place where that dynamic breaks down entirely. Government. 
the nuclear option is removed when you are a government. You cannot shut down if the union demands too much. What this means is unions of government workers have no incentive not to just keep permanently demanding more and more and more because management can't stop. They can't, they, they have to, they, they are mandated by laws and by laws means if you don't do this, somebody with guns will come and force you. They are required to provide the services to the public. And so when their workers constantly say, no, we need to raise the wages, the prevailing wage in this bureaucratic government office, we need to raise them from $80 an hour to $140 an hour. And if you don't do that, if you don't raise our wages, we're going to shut down the government. And in general, you know, weird congressional bullshit notwithstanding, which doesn't actually work on from an economic sense, I'll get, I can get to that some other time. The government can't shut down. Which means in order to keep services going, the union has to be appeased and there is no check. There's nothing to prevent them from demanding $140 an hour this year and $180 an hour next year and $300 an hour the year after if they so desire. The only thing that prevents that from going out of control at an exponential pace is that government doesn't work that fast. So as a result, unions should never be allowed for government workers. That should be illegal. Well, it makes sense because what a union is supposed to do is be able to protect the worker. And I think that's why most of these unions started way back when, but I think we've progressed. There's that magic word to a point. How very progressive. Where unions are doing, yes, exactly the opposite. We've all read the stories of like a teacher that, you know, maybe sexually molested a kid, but they've got tenure. You know, or they were sexual accusations, whatever it is, all sorts of crazy things. I know there's, I remember reading a story a year or two ago where there's a place in New York because to get paid, they still have to show up. But these teachers that can no longer teach, but the union won't let them get fired, they just show up and sit in a room all day and collect a salary because they can't be fired because the union is protecting them. And that goes to a whole nother, a whole nother extreme and a whole nother example. But the unions are definitely tied in when you start talking about wages in this country. And that was the most amazing thing to me was that, okay, there are actually unions that have this written in. I don't know what percentage. I'm guessing maybe a large amount that their base pay is based upon what the minimum wage is. So, but let's talk about something a little bit even more interesting when it comes down to this. This goes along with what you talked about earlier with the fact that once this minimum wage started getting raised in the Seattle area, that the wages actually start going down. It also has an effect on just exactly what the job growth rate is. There was a study called the effects of the minimum wage on employment dynamics that was done at Texas A&M. And they found out that Ooh, more research. I love it. A 10%. Yeah. A 10% increase to the minimum wage results in the reduction of approximately one quarter of the net job growth rate. And that's just a raise of 10% on the minimum wage. And that's not what is being asked for here. We're not trying to go from $8 to $8 and 80 cents. I mean, they're trying to push this often. 100% more than what is currently being 
yeah. uh, what is currently uh, the, being made. The, the the clarion call amongst people in political circles is fifteen dollars, fifteen dollars. So this then like this this is where the nefarious part comes in in my mind, and I do believe this is a part of it. I'll keep telling people go back read the Bill Ayers manifesto with the Weather Underground back in the sixties about crashing the system, and a lot of this stuff goes right into and you put that in the show notes right what was talked about hey i've said it enough just go look it up weather underground manifesto it's not hard to find bill Ayers, buddy of barack obama but if a university if these studies are correct and i believe they are that a 10 percent increase in the minimum wage results in a reduction of one quarter of the net job growth rate well if you're going to go up a hundred percent what does that do to the job growth rate it would seem if you can do math that it would be bad it would either completely erase it or send it into a negative area which is probably the more likely so the question starts becoming why is it that the left at this point is still pushing as you said for these bigger and bigger increases in the minimum wage and there was a because free stuff well it's not free stuff because what their goal is is unemployment and of course eugenics but politicians on the left uh, politicians in general only do things for the votes period and politicians in the democrat party are relying on finding enough people out there and so far the strategy is working who don't think any farther than give me free money give me you know free shit give me handouts give me an obama phone that's that's but really it's not what about getting I mean, it, to a certain extent. It's about getting the votes, but it's getting the votes so they could change the world so they could change the system. That's they what they the want system. the power they want to do. Personal power changing the system. No, they they say change the system because that's what their base wants. Most, you know, no, some, some of these the, people actually the believe and, this. Some of the young and naive ones actually think that they're going to change the system. And then they charge in and get elected to Congress from Brooklyn and then try to change the system. <laughs> and then some old hag from California, who's the Speaker of the House, I'm not saying who, will come in and slap them down and say, no, 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 you can't actually get any real reforms done because that would upset the balance of the power. Instead, sit down, shut up and be a talking head like the rest of us that's how power works people don't they don't want to change the system because if you change the system they're going to have to come up with all new scams and why would you ever do that when the old scams still work because they want to enslave the people they do not want people to be successful they do not want them to be able to be self-sufficient because once people are self-sufficient they stop voting for the leftists it seems to be a pretty simple thing and it's been going on for a long time I, I found a story over on the blaze i think this was that talked about a guy named Sidney webb who was an english economist co-founder of the fabian society in the early 1900s so we're going back 120 years and he believed that establishing a minimum wage that was above the value of quote the unemployables these really no skill workers, as he called them, would lock them out of the market and eliminate them as a class. I mean, this is scary stuff. I think you might have read the same article I did. The fantastic quotes. Go on. It's, uh, this is the the eugenics angle. I love it. Well, this yes, this is this is very scary stuff. We we need to do the show on eugenics at some point. By the way, eugenics is is an old school term for what is now called and generally derided by the same party who pushed eugenics 80 years ago 
as racism. Yes. It's it's Oh, there's no doubt about eugenics it. Eugenics is deciding that one group of people is more valuable, more useful, better for society than some other group and then enacting policies in society to stomp out the undesirables and prevent them from continuing on. Well, this is making the undesirables basically into a non-class. It sounds very Orwellian. Uh, and it makes them completely reliant upon the government. But this is the Sidney Webb again. The quote from him was, of all ways of dealing with these unfortunate parasites, <clears throat> excuse me, let me clear my voice here because I don't want any any question about what is being said here. Of all ways of dealing with these unfortunate parasites, the most ruinous of the community to the community is to allow them unrestrainedly to compete as wage earners. So, yes, they're trying to take a class of people and don't even want to keep raising the minimum wage to weed out these unskilled workers. As long as we're here, let's uh, let me throw down a couple more quotes at you, which these are actually quotes by economists and academic thinkers of the time when minimum wage laws were first being conceived. These were the arguments used to institute minimum wage at the beginning when minimum wage first existed. Here's one for you. Uh, F.W. Tosic in Principles of Economics, he was an economic professor of the time. How to deal with the unemployable, asked economic Frank Tosic. They should simply be stamped out. We have not reached the stage where we can proceed to chloroform them once and for all, but at least they can be segregated, shut up in refugees and asylums, and prevented from propagating their kind. That seems scary to me. Uh, that's that's eugenics. Imbecility breeds imbecility as certainly as white hens breed white chickens. And under laissez-faire, imbecility is given full chance to breed and does so, in fact, at a rate far superior to that of able stocks. That is an argument that was used at the time to bring in minimum wage. These people who were proposing minimum wage at the time, they knew that it destroyed jobs for unskilled workers. And that's what they wanted. They wanted to put down the unskilled workers, the undesirables in society, because that would allow the good people, the people who were of good breeding stock to flourish because they could have jobs. And you could say to yourself, well, these are just the academic type nobody would ever take them seriously they're just saying the government is going to keep all of us safe don't worry about it here's a quote from a princeton economist well again in the academia world but this guy named royal meeker was the u.s commissioner of labor under woodrow wilson and i never really paid much attention to woodrow wilson until glenn beck started talking about him and you go read about this guy and he is probably the scariest progressive president that's ever held office in the united states you had a question nope no i i was just pointing out that if he, if he was in woodrow wilson's chamber then uh, clearly not some whack job of the time he was somebody people listened to yes and now here's the quote from him which i think is even crazier than the stuff you just read this again royal meeker u.s commissioner of labor under woodrow wilson said it is much better to enact a minimum wage law even if it deprives those unfortunates of work, better that the state should support the inefficient wholly and prevent the multiplication of the breed than subsidize incompetence and unthrift, enabling them to bring forth more of their kind. 
Yeah. I'm going to read that one more time just so you understand. This is where the minimum wage started under Woodrow Wilson, progressive hero. It is much better to enact a minimum wage law, even if it deprives these unfortunates of work. Better the state should support the inefficient wholly and prevent the multiplication of the breed than to subsidize incompetence and unthrift, enabling them to bring forth more of their kind. This is scary crap for people involved in government. A guy that was the commissioner of labor under a president of the United States. People go nuts about Trump. They should go read about the origins of the left in this progressive movement and people like Woodrow Wilson and go, this doesn't scare you. Well, as much that as this was I put into place, as much as I really, I, I don't like to, tr- I, I don't like when people judge past societies uh, based on the, the values of modern, because you always come up with weird conclusions and you can always find some way to condemn people. Uh, these are eugenics, racism, you know, trying to create a better world through superior breeding and and stomping down the people who are undesirable. Those were the values of the time. And in fact, those were the progressive values of the time. And and the parties change positions so often, it doesn't particularly matter which party Wilson was a part of. That was the prevailing political opinion, at least of his side at the time. But it was the start of this movement. It, it was the start of minimum wage. And Okay, you know what? So they had a really bad idea and they ran with it because there were some fucked up values back then. I can even work with that and I'm not going to condemn people who've been dead for 50 years because they followed the idea of the values of the time. But here's a thought. How about we don't espouse those values today so maybe we don't come to the same conclusions and maybe we don't use the same tactics that ruin people's lives just because they happen to be in the undesirable class. How about maybe we we don't propagate those policies that were created to stomp down a class of people precisely because those people weren't wanted? It's just a thought. How about understanding the economics? How about understanding the math? Because raising the minimum wage is going to have an effect on everybody's wage. Even if you're making above the minimum wage at this point, it comes down to, you know, say you're right now you're for 15 bucks in the city of Chicago or, or in the city of Seattle before this minimum wage increase came to be. If you were a worker that was making 15 bucks an hour and you actually had some skill and you had stress in your job and you were just, you know, overall doing a you're doing a lot of labor to get this money. Now, all of a sudden, anybody doing any job whatsoever is making that 15 bucks an hour, including the guy that just stands at the front of the Walmart going. Hey, how you doing? That seems a lot easier than, say, digging a ditch or doing construction stuff like that. So what happens to those people that were making $15 I, I don't know. when the minimum wage gets raised? I don't know about your, your comparison. I would rather dig a ditch all day than stand in Walmart <laughs> and, and talk, to, talk people. to those people. <laughs> I, some of the people are scary, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the thing comes down to everybody's uh, salary, everybody's hourly rate goes up when the minimum wage gets bumped up because it cannot stay the same. Well, the concept that even if you don't want, or even if you make more than minimum wage and you're certain that it won't affect you, uh, be aware that when a, a a poorly thought out legislation forces the costs to go up for your employer. If you don't think that that affects you, if the employer's costs go up, 
you're not paying attention because the the incentive is there the the pressure is there to cut your hours because you cost even more than the people whose minimum wage just went up right now you have a lot of these companies and i know this is very uh, pie in the sky kind of companies like google where they offer hey all the free food we'll make you steaks we'll make you shrimp come out into the cafeteria everything's free i mean that's to one example but it could be anything as simple as you know there's a coffee pot in the break room and the company provides you with coffee and maybe they buy donuts every morning well the coffee and donuts all the people that are making all this stuff well now the minimum wage all goes up these things start costing more and the company goes yeah we can't afford this anymore yeah so the, and, your costs are going to go up somewhere and, and they're going to cut the things that that probably will not impact their bottom line like because like employee happiness at least not directly and not immediately but it is a sliding scale that if the minimum wage goes up, everybody's wages go up. Like the unions are completely, and it, I guess it makes kind of sense that if you were making a deal with somebody, if you were getting into a uh, a contract that says, well, what am I going to get paid? Well, if you're a skilled laborer, it's like you could be like, well, I, I want you know five times what these unskilled people are making. And as the unskilled goes up, so does yours. It's never going to get to the point. And maybe this is what these people think. I mean, do they really think that we're going to keep pushing the minimum wage up until everybody just gets minimum wage? And no matter what you do, it's going to be minimum wage. Well, until everybody is equal. That's that's actually the end game for the the socialist types is everybody must be equal. And if that means that we force the wages up so that everybody who's employed is making the same $150 an hour. And ultimately, everybody goes out of business and everybody is equally unemployed. That is a socialist utopia. Nobody has anything. Nobody can even afford food. Everybody is equal. Congratulations. It might be the only utopia that actually works. Yes, you've reached full utopian action where everybody is broke. Everybody is hungry. I am still steamed about this eugenics bullshit because I I can't believe nobody ever. for, For the people who are hung up so badly on the civil war was about slavery and we have to force everybody to think about slavery constantly and slavery slavery and nobody even thinks about the start the beginning of of things like minimum wage because it just turns out that it doesn't fit the narrative i i'm still annoyed so i'm gonna well, throw the people i'm gonna throw one more quote it started it specifically said so you can't breed i mean, I mean come on yeah, I, I, it's uh, racism I'm going to throw one more quote at you, and that is, this is from Henry Rogers Seeger, who was a a scholar at Columbia University. This is an academic, and he was also the president of the American Economic Association. So, so many people listened to it at the time. He said, the operation of the minimum wage requirement would merely extend the definition of defectives to embrace all individuals who after having received special training, remain incapable of adequate self-support. This is all everybody who is not elites like him. He says that if we are to maintain a race that is to be made up of capable, efficient, and independent individuals and family groups, we must courageously cut off lines of heredity that have been proved to be undesirable by isolation or sterilization. This is a lead economist of the day. Okay, backing off. But these are the same people that point at Hitler and say he was bad while they're embracing things that would certainly, I think, have made old Adolf really proud. That, that quote was, was from, I want to say the 1920s. At, at the time, Hitler was, he was fantastic. He was the person who took Germany's 
failed and, and stomped down economy out, you know, after World War One, when Germany got crushed by everybody and they all said, ah, oh, spat on the grave. Hitler was the guy who rebuilt the economy. He was a goddamn hero to everybody in that country because he was the one who rebuilt them economically right up until about 1939. And then he started doing some real questionable shit like attacking other countries. And we can fault him for that, but he was loved. Well, what I don't get is when you look back at this, these quotes from economists, when all of this minimum wage stuff was coming around, how come nobody on the right, except us idiot podcasters, and I don't really call our, you know, us on the right. I think we're maybe more conservative learning, but we're definitely not in the Republican category completely. I I self-identify as Ryan Bemrose. When these arguments come up about the minimum wage. I've never heard anybody pull this kind of stuff out that was like, well, you know, when this started, the uh, the the guy, the commissioner of labor under Woodrow Wilson, basically not, you know, no qualms about it, no question about it, basically said the minimum wage raising deprives the unfortunates of work and we can we don't want them to breed. We'll just subsidize their incompetence and just subsidize them enough so they can't just keep popping out children, it would seem. And, and uh, what happened? What what blew me away when I was doing the research and came up with these quotes and apparently read the same damn articles you did. What blew me away about it was it, and the thing that I found most unexpected was it wasn't that these people thought, oh, well, you know, uh, we've never tried this economic thing of a minimum wage and let's see how it worked out. No, they knew. They knew that it was going to cost people jobs. They knew that it was going to hamper and harm the economy. They knew that and they thought it was a good thing. And still do. I mean, that's the same reason why Planned Parenthood came about. I mean, Planned Parenthood came into effect because they wanted to kill black babies. Go do your research on the history of Planned Parenthood. Let's again go back. The founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, was before, you know what she was doing before? She was in Planned Parenthood before she started it. She was the president of the American Eugenics Society. It was called that. Hmm. And they wanted to cut down on the breeding of the less desirables. And this minimum wage was put into place to keep them from being able to have jobs, to, in, to, <laughs> to keep breeding and making more of their kind. But this is what a lot of this stuff turns into when you're going down this socialist rabbit hole is to cause unrest. And we've talked about it a million times. It already seems between the rich and the poor, between the black and the white, between the religious and non-religious. It is causing problems everywhere. And this is certainly, I believe, one of those places. Yeah, it's good for politicians when people are angry with each other because it means talking points and it means that people are distracted by yelling at the other side and are always voting for the politician who takes their side. It's great for politicians. It's not so good as for society when we're all pissed off and divisive and angry with each other. That's I mean, not that great. No. And everybody points at companies like Walmart, like they're you know killing babies and ruining the society. But overall, Walmart pays people more than the minimum wage. So this isn't even Walmart workers. You really have to start asking yourself, who are the minimum wage workers and why for less than 1% of the workforce, we're only 30% is full time. What is this really about? Because I don't believe it's about 
the minimum wage. Well, it, the minimum wage is, is it's still having an effect on the, the ethnic groups that were considered undesirable back then. And, and go, go walk into any college where they're constantly talking about the oppression of the black man or of marginalized groups. This is exactly what that is. Minimum wage is oppressing groups economically that it it is. If you are the kind of person who looks at if if you are, if you are the kind of person who embraces social justice, the idea that particular groups have been oppressed and need to not be oppressed anymore. That is, I think kind of what social justice is about at, at least its altruistic origins, then you should be against minimum wage laws. They absolutely oppress people who are lower economically. They oppress, you know, the, the result, which everybody, uh, everybody's always willing to pull out stats is, you know, blacks in inner cities are economically disadvantaged. Well, minimum wage laws absolutely screw over people who are economically disadvantaged they do exactly the opposite of what people say they do uh, and you you were asking where are all these minimum wage jobs uh you know uh, the bulk of the minimum wage jobs i would bet are not people working at walmart or or people working at you know at, at walmart a uh, doing the same kind of thing at walmart like uh running a cash register or or it takes a certain amount of skill and you don't necessarily want to lose those people just because, Hey, you know, they want 1501 an hour that I think that most of the minimum wage jobs are probably going to be the teenage kid who pushes the shop broom around and cleans up your auto shop or the, you know, the person in high school who needs some money on the side. And so you let him go and, you know, make a couple crafts or something. You know what I visualize? When I hear minimum wage is Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> remember, remember the episode where they were like flipping burgers and they were like putting bugs in them and just like frying things like they would grab a, you know, catch a rat and then put it in the deep fryer. That's what I'm thinking when I hear minimum wage. And we all start there. We all have jobs when we first get into the work. That's the minimum wage jobs. The people who start out, the people yes. who have no skills, the people who have no job history, the people who are need they need somebody, an employer to, Hey, can you just give me a shot here? Cause I don't need to make a full living on this. The person might even live the probably, you know, if they're 17, they probably still live with their parents, which is fine. They're probably going to school full time. They need a part-time job so they can have some extra spending money on the side so they can go down to the soda fountain. Okay. I'm in the wrong, the wrong decade. <laughs> that's the great Cornholio. That is, that is who <laughs> the, the low paying, you know, below minimum wage jobs are exactly for the people who just need a break. And, and that is when, when I was young and we always, we always have to have that segment on there. When I was young, I was able to get a job as a teenager. I didn't like the job. It was a shit job. I was pushing a broom <laughs> for six shit. hours a day at the local supermarket. And I hated it. And I got out the moment that I found a, a computer job, but it, it gave but me that's money. The point. It, See, that's the point right there is that you hated the job and didn't give a shit about it. And this is the level of minimum wage. So why are you giving the assholes who don't care about the job doing these things temporarily? Why is this such a big concern, right? That doesn't make sense because you are the Beavis and Buttheads. They're the people that are doing jobs that take no skill and they don't care about it. And they sit around and, you know, just goof off most of their day 
you know, as much as you can get away with. Cause that's what most of these jobs well, I do that now. And I'm, but, Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do that now, but it's a different thing now. Yeah. Uh, but that is the kind of jobs we're talking about. And, and here's, by the way, if, if we want to throw down a, another economic point, minimum wage being what it is now, if you ask any millennial, Hey, did you have a job while you were in high school? No, almost none of them did. A, a tiny vanishing percent. And, and part of the reason is that, of course, if you think about it for more than 30 seconds, nobody is going to give a shot to somebody who has no work experience, is 16 years old, you know, probably has shit for work ethic. And, you know, I, I, if, if I were running a shop, I'd say, yeah, you can go ahead and push a broom around for five bucks an hour, but it's not legal to pay somebody five bucks an hour. And frankly, your ass pushing a broom around isn't worth $10 an hour. Therefore, there are no jobs for people just starting out. There are no jobs for teenagers who have no work experience. One of the other effects of that is, you know, if back in the day when you could could have a job and stay in school because, hey, you were part-time, just needed a couple bucks, people would stick around in school and, and finish up while they were making money on the side. Nowadays, if you don't have any money, and you're going to school, school is a waste of time. The only thing that you can do is, hey, you know, I can make $15 an hour if I only would be willing to go full time. I guess I have to jump and drop out of school too. Minimum wage laws actually incentivize people who need the money now to drop out of school and severely limit their potential for future earnings because they don't have a diploma. And it's yet another way that you can keep low income people down. So basically, and the interesting thing, one of the interesting uh, arguments that I heard on this was everybody understands there has to be a cap as far as what people get paid. Because if you go, well, why don't you pay everybody, you know, $1,000 an hour? Well, we can't afford that. Well, $100 an hour. What is, you know, that magic number? And the magic number very rarely seems to make any sense. But as we've found out today while doing research and talking why, why about this. Why does there have to be is, a number? Right. Why does there have to be a number? We know every part of the country is different. If so, if, setting if something for somebody, one area. If hiring somebody can make my business two thousand dollars an hour for every hour that they work, why wouldn't I pay them a thousand dollars for that hour? Yes, and the fact that we know it's hard right now to find workers. I know that personally from people that I know that run businesses. The amount you're paying them isn't the problem. The one you can't find good workers or the people that aren't working just simply do not want to work. And if somebody wants to work. Like you said, and push a broom for five bucks an hour. It's a pretty easy job. It's very non-taxing. It's two hours a day. I go in, I get 10 bucks. Maybe I get some free coffee with it. Why can't they be allowed to do that? But we've learned that the concept of the minimum wage is not really to help the unfortunate. It is to drive them out of the workforce so they can't breed. And it is to crash the system because every 10% you raise the minimum wage, you're killing job growth. So what it's being said it was for, what people are saying it's for right now, doesn't make sense. It doesn't pass the sniff test. It doesn't seem to be the case. And as everything else in this world today, you have to look at what the other hand is doing, right? What they're telling you this, but while they're telling you this, what are they doing back there? And I think this is one of those cases to where it's easy. That's why 75% of the people, if you just say, hey, do you, do you you support having a raise the minimum wage say yes as like a lot of political things they just don't understand the repercussions because we're living in a society 
where people cannot focus on one thing for longer than about 15 seconds. People are not being taught critical thinking skills. And therefore, when you say, hey, would you like free money? People, the, the person on the street, the average idiot out there, the average voter is not stopping to think, well, what happens if I do this or where does the money come from? They just say, oh, free stuff. Yeah, I'll take it. And you wonder why so many kids are depressed today. I mean, that in the fact that the world is ending. And by the way, it's, not, it's not just the weather underground who wants to push people out of jobs. Uh, if if you are the kind of politician or bureaucrat who uh, gets more power from people being out of work and on the welfare dime, for example, then you are incentivized to force people to go into your social programs precisely because if they're dependent on you they vote for you well and which is funny because they're voting for you so you can actually make their life worse and enslave them to yes have them come to you for their food but, for but their you're sustenance not, you're not for their where enslaver you are the knight True. in shining armor who comes <laughs> to them with a welfare handout after society has stomped them down and that evil capitalism has forced them to not have a job anymore it is sad you know, all those terrible businesses that how dare these companies want to try to break even on their their accounting? How dare they want to not go out of business? Why can't they just pay me all of their profits? And I know everybody's really surprised when McDonald's goes to their kiosks rather than employing people because they didn't see that coming. People hate that's the problem with the low paying jobs. Automation is real. The concept of a minimum wage is very flawed and uh, that's really the only way to look at it everybody it's pie in the sky to be like it would be great if everybody could make more money but then you don't go to the second part of that which is the only way everybody making more money becomes something that is sustainable is that if everybody doesn't have to consume what is being made with the money that's then having to go up because if you have to buy the pizza it's more if you have to buy shoes for the guy making the shoes it's more let me let me drop a secret. This is a teaser for another episode because we're not going to cover it here. There is actually a way that everybody can make more money and become more prosperous without having to sacrifice any other part of your economy. And that is, yeah, how do you get everybody a larger piece of the pie? You grow the pie. You make your economy better. How do you make your economy better? Economic growth. How do you get economic growth? Well, that might be a topic for another podcast, but hint, it ain't dropping a lead weight on the economy by adding new government taxes. It will be available in our Patreon page for only $99.95. You can get the secret. We have a Patreon page? We do, but we're not using it yet. But hey, I'll work on that. We had to get locked in before their rates went up. Is there anything else in your notes from minimum wage that we need to cover? I have one more, one more fact in my notes came from an article, actually an article that I read uh, almost a year ago now. When uh, you remember uh, uh, Whole Foods uh, a couple of years ago was purchased by Amazon. Remember this? Yes. And they got rid of the employees in some of the stores. Yeah. yeah that, or that wasn't a Whole well, Foods, but that was like the Amazon. So Amazon, Amazon then had, uh, you know, because Amazon is based in Seattle and also because Amazon's leadership are a bunch of virtue signaling douchebags like many corporations these days. They came out and said, we are going to raise the minimum wage across our entire company to $15 an hour across the board, no matter what, which is frankly Mm -hmm. below the poverty line in Seattle, but is pretty damn nice if you live in Topeka. So 
a lot of people were really cheering that and uh, Whole Foods who had recently been purchased by that. All these Whole Foods workers who'd been working for perfectly happily for $10 an hour were like, yeah, 50% increase. Yeah, yeah. And not long after this increase, they found that their hours were being slashed by as much as half. Now, again, same kind of math, 50% increase in hourly wage, but 50% less hours. You're still making less total money. So they, after their hours were slashed, they made a lot less money than before. And the, the article was about how terrible Amazon is for slashing the hours of all these people. And I kept looking at you. They, they're always blaming it on, oh, the, the, the greedy management. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not management. It's economics. Amazon looked at this and found a way to both simultaneously, okay, I guess it is greedy management. They found a way to simultaneously <laughs> virtue signal and save costs. All they have to do is cut everybody's hours by half and then give them a 50% hourly raise increase. Amazon is suddenly saving 33% of, of their workforce and everybody is thrilled that they're getting a higher wage. Yay us. How come I can't make my rent this month? Right. They need a second job now to pay. Yeah. How, how is it? I just got a huge food. raise and I can't make rent. What happened? Well, is this just raising the bar to keep the undesirables off the Amazon payroll? Well, if Whole Foods employees are undesirable. Well, they may be, but I mean, maybe Whole Foods wanted a better class of employee or something. That's why they raised it to $15. So more of the people they wanted came out for those part-time jobs rather than having to pay f- those poor full-time people who you know, have the families to, to provide for maybe, but that's something we can look at and study and figure out because you always look at what's going on behind the scenes. But, you know, I know two people that are making below the minimum wage for the job they're doing right at this very second. Uh, this is true. Who, who do you have in mind? Cause, cause I can think of, I was thinking you yes. and me, that. <laughs> we work on the value for value model. We don't have a minimum wage here at grumpy old Ben's. We rely on listeners like you to support the show. And if you like what you're hearing, there are plenty of ways you can do that. And we do have two executive producers who came in this week. One is our buddy, Sir Candinavian, and the other, Cold Acid. Two guys that are always in the No Agenda Troll Room. Two guys that have been big fans of the show, and we really appreciate the donations. We appreciate the support. Uh, we love the, I mean, people, I know this is still 25 shows in and Ryan Bemrose is still a little bit shocked every now and then when people make comments, he's like, what they're listening to us or phone boys posting quotes from the shows. And he's like, people are listening to us. I know it's hard to believe. You said we were making below minimum wage, which is absolutely true. It's a good thing. You didn't bring up whether or not we were making how much we were worth because I'm <laughs> frankly, well, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I know I'm absolutely <laughs> thrilled by all of our producers. I'm very happy that people still like this entertainment product that we are creating and we're, we will continue doing it for as long as we have producers, as long as, as people want to listen and also as long as I have emotional and, and mental issues to work out, but I, I'm sure I can clear those up really quickly. If our, if our uh, producers and donators dry up, I just think it's fantastic that you say we're making way below minimum wage, but it seems you think we're making way over what we're worth. I, um, is that accurate? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and retract any <laughs> statements I made about what, we're, what we are worth <laughs> is exactly how much value you get from listening to this show. And we'd appreciate it if you 
could give back some of that value. If if you got value out of this show, go ahead and go to grumpyoldbends.com. Click that little donate button. You could be like Sir John Fletcher, who got on a monthly plan. So he has to go right up to the top of the list, too, as one of the biggest supporters of the show. We love everybody that's been commenting in the chat room while we're doing the shows, listening, subscribing. We seem to have, you know, a lot of subscribers and we dig that. But hey, if you're not subscribed yet, go to grumpyoldbends.com as well and hit that subscribe button. Do it in your favorite podcast app, or you can even get the shows by email. If you don't like to use a phone and you don't want to have to worry about any of those apps, hey, every time a new show drops, you'll get it right in your email. I know a lot of people liked the first Grumpy Old Benz that was completely Bemrose list. And I do want to thank Sir Fletcher. It wasn't meant to be a grumpy old Benz, but we ended up like ranting for an hour and a half. So what else were we going to call it? Speaking of being worth less than we were getting paid. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Sir John Fletcher was an interesting guy to talk to. We had a whole lot of fun. Fletcher is great. He's, he's, he's awesome. And it was, it was a lot of fun to, to, he, it was a lot of fun to sit back and listen to Fletcher go off about, I mean, he, he had some points to make and, uh, and I was just glad that I, I could be in the troll room trolling you guys for once. Well, he definitely fits in the grumpy old Ben's mentality, and we really appreciate that. He does his show called Hog Story, hogstory.net, live every Monday night. Yeah, so check that out. But he was a fun guy to talk to, and he can do some rants, too. He just He's a little bit more laid back of a ranter than you are, and he never just yelled at me and said I was wrong. So I appreciated that as no, well. No, that's wrong. I uh, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I appreciate your utter honesty when you want to tell me that I've completely made a point incorrectly, but Hey, everybody that's supporting the show, everybody that's listening. If you've subscribed, we appreciate it. If you donate, we really appreciate it. We're just a couple of podcasts trying to make minimum wage here. So it is really, really heartfelt. Uh, Thank you for supporting the show and uh, we'll keep doing it as long as people keep listening. So until next time, I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chicago, Illinois, where the construction's still going on. So I hope you haven't heard them. And from America's left coast, where the wages are up, the hours are down, the workers are living on the streets and everybody is equal. I'm Ryan Bemrose.